Turn in your Bibles, if you would, this morning to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verse 14 down through verse 18 for our text this morning. Of course, we know this is the wonderful letter written to the church of Rome by the Apostle Paul, full of instruction, full of um, just basic instruction, then, then deep instruction, much that we can learn from this morning if we would allow the Holy Spirit to, to grip our minds and our hearts. So if you would, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. The Bible says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. And join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Such beautiful passage, such beautiful words on our relationship with God. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. Sometimes we focus on what we must do, or maybe even what has been done, and let us never forget what has been done for us. But I want you to focus this morning on your relationship with God, who you are in Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father, I ask your blessing now on this message, that you would take the words that have been read, the words that will be read, take them by your Spirit into our hearts and our minds, and keep the distractions out, Lord, and help us to be Good ground this morning that as the seed is planted, it would grow, it would take root, and it would produce in our lives, Lord. So I ask that you do the work that only you can do, and that you would draw us now by your Spirit, and give me the grace and the strength to say what is needed. Ask all these things in the name of Jesus, amen. So we we return this morning to our study of Romans chapter 8. I hope it's been helpful. It's a very, very deep book, probably one of the deepest in Scripture. And while we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on it, I think it's good to, to pull out some here and there that we can. We've been learning about the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 is a book about the Holy, or excuse me, a chapter about the Holy Spirit and how He works and what He does. And we've learned about this dynamic fullness of our relationship with Him. We relate to Him in many different ways. and there's, It's not this deep, shallow thing. It's a deep, dynamic, full relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 in chapter 8 tells us that He gives us life. He frees us from sin, frees us from death, and He gives us life. Verse 1 says He frees us from condemnation. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That happens through the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 says that He dwells in us. That we come together and we are built up to be the very house of God. We also saw in Scripture that He fills us. You see, our lives, our hearts, our minds are to be filled with the Spirit. They are to be His home. Just as you would drive by any house and see cars in the driveway and know that the driver's home, so should the Spirit be evidence in our life. Do people see Christ in you? Do they see the Holy Spirit in you? Are there markers in your life to say, yes, 
God is in that person. God is working in that person. God is moving in that person. In fact, the same verse, verse 9, tells us that had better be the case. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That's a pretty serious warning. Sometimes we talk about bearing fruit of the Spirit and we have this idea of, nah, if it happens, it happens. If not, no, that's not what the Scripture says. We must bear fruit. In fact, Jesus tells that to His disciples. Any man doesn't bear fruit, that branch is cut off and cast into judgment. So we've seen that the Spirit is to be filling us, working in us. Can others see Christ in you? See, our relationship with God is so much more than what we do here on a Sunday or a Wednesday. That's just a small part of it. We have an everyday relationship with God. We ought to. Why? It's because it's who we are. And that's what I want you to think about this morning. Last time we left off in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... They are the sons of God. Just to remind you, the primary work of the Spirit is to lead. That's what He does. He leads us. He draws us. He does that in different ways. Maybe it's through conviction. Maybe it's through strengthening. Always through the Word of God and always with the truth of the Word of God. But that's the primary function of the Spirit. The Word is preached. The Word is read. The Word is even spoken. The Spirit accompanies that Word and He leads through that Word. He takes the the heart and mind, He draws our hearts, draws our minds, and He takes the truth of Scripture and He applies it. And our job, our responsibility, and yes, our choice should be to follow His leading, as many as are led by the Spirit. So, I ask you the question this morning, are you following the Spirit? Are you following the leading of the Holy Spirit as He leads you in the truth of God, of the the Word of God? Not something else. You know, we can take a lot of things in our life and think it's the Holy Spirit leading. You know how you check everything? You check it by Scripture. Does it square with Scripture? And if the Holy Spirit is leading you, are you following Him as the Bible tells us what we must do? Is He welcome in your life? Or is He a threat? You know, sometimes we have... Areas in our life we want off limits. Yeah, you've got my Sunday time. You've got my Wednesday time. But I've got me time too, Lord. I've got these things that I don't want you messing around with. Usually falls into the category of money, status, stuff. (laughs) Don't touch those. As long as you bless those, we're good, God. Is He welcome in all areas of your life or can He be a threat? Listen, I want my life to be wide open to the leading of the Spirit. Whatever you want, Lord, just help me to follow. Is that the case for you? I pray that it is. We need to let Him lead. Sometimes we like to lead around God. Lord, why don't you just do this? And why don't you just do that and that? And everything will be just fine. Can't you see? I can see it, Lord. Can't you see it, God? And we try to lead the Lord around when the reality is we need to let the Lord lead us. I think there's a song. I know there's a saying. Thank God for unanswered prayers. You ever look back on your life and say, Thank you, Lord. I didn't know what I was talking about. 
Thank you that you knew better than me and you took me on a better path. See, that's what the Spirit does. He's the Spirit of life. He's the Spirit of peace. He's the Spirit that leads us according to God's own will, so we ought to be following Him. Verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. That's a big statement. That's a wonderful statement, in fact. Those who follow the leading of the Spirit, they are the sons of God. And by the way, that also means daughters of God. I want to just quickly give a sense of what that means. And to do so, we kind of just have to peel back the curtain of language for just a moment. There's two terms used in the passage before us. Sons and children. You see that? There in verse 14, they are the sons of God. And in the end of verse 16, bears witness that we are the children of God. Well, they sound the same, right? In our English language, they sound the same. But they're actually different words with different meanings. And they're pretty important. So just quickly, if you look at verse 16, it says, we are the children of God. That is the Greek word technon. You don't have to write it down. You don't have to memorize it. There's no test. But just for your reference, the the Greek word is technon, and it means a child. One that is born to parents. Pretty simple meaning. means what it sounds like. Now the word sons is different. In Greek it's the word huios. And it talks about one who is the heir. The firstborn. One who stands in a place of inheritance. There are many children, but not all of them are heirs. You can look through the Bible, and this is a practice that we have probably gotten away from in America, but you can look through the Bible and see the right of the firstborn. They stand to inherit the the firstborn blessing, the, the major share of whatever the father had. And the rest would inherit something, but it would not be as it was to the firstborn. Okay? That's the idea that's going on here, and we need to keep that in mind. When it says sons, he's talking about the firstborn heir, the one who stands to take the place of the father. Okay? What does he say in verse 14? For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. You see, those who follow Him, those who follow the Spirit's leading, are not just children but sons. That's why it's so important that we follow the Spirit. That's why it's so important that we are in tune to Him, that we are seeking His guidance in our life, because there's some major promises that come with it. And out of that verse, I want you to focus on two words. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Not like, oh, it's coming in the future, or maybe someday they'll become, as in right here and right now, they are the sons of God. You understand this morning, this is part of the wonderful blessing of what it means to be alive unto God through Christ. What it means to be a Christian. What it means to be part of His body. 
that we can be sons and daughters of God and know it and live it right here, right now. This is not some dead religion we serve. This is not some name-only service. If it is, get on your knees and repent and get back in fellowship with the Spirit because the Scripture tells us we can know and feel and live being a son or daughter of God right here and right now. What I want to do is I want to give you a statement and kind of frame the rest of the message with it. The statement is, your identity in Christ is not based on past sins or present failures, but on your present relationship with God and future promises of God. Your identity in Christ is not based on past sins or present failures, but on your present relationship with God and future promises of God. Let's start with that first part. Your identity in Christ is not based on your past sin or present failure. Look in verse 15. It says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. There are so many today that have a fear-based relationship with God, don't they? It's not a love relationship, or there might be some love in there, but most of it is fear or bondage. And they live in that fear. They live in that bondage. That's how they relate to God. They're always scared of God. Or they're always in bondage to something that has to do with God rather than living in joy and peace and freedom. That's not what we have been called to. We've not been called to fear and to bondage. That's not our relationship with God. Now, I need to pause to give two exceptions to this. Okay, First... If you have not been saved this morning, if you have not had your sin forgiven and removed by placing your faith in Christ as your Savior, you have reason to fear. You have reason to fear God this morning. Maybe you don't know it. Maybe you think everything's fine and what's this big deal about being saved? What's the big deal about Jesus? You need to know this morning that we face judgment for our sin. We face the wrath of God for sin. Ignorance is not bliss in this case. We need to know it. And I want you to turn, keep your finger here because we'll be back, to John chapter 3. I want you to see this in your own Bibles. What does the Bible say about it? John chapter 3. And look down there in the end of the chapter, if you would, to verse 36. John 3 and 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You see that? It abides as in right now. If you are still in your sins, the wrath of God is upon you. 
you are facing the wrath of God. We all do, don't we? We all are sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. We all face eternal judgment for sin in hell. We need a Savior. I need somebody to cleanse me of my sin. Sin is not something to be careless with or flippant about. We are in bondage to sin. We need to be freed from it. We are facing the wrath of a holy, almighty God. And it is the Gospel that brings that freedom. It is the Gospel that brings forgiveness. Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. There's nobody outside of its reach. Anyone can be saved if they place their faith in Christ. Why? Because it is God's power to salvation. It is God's message. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the message that saves. It's not this church. It's not good works. It's not anything else but Christ. He shed His blood to pay for your sin. He shed His blood to pay for my sin. To forgive us that He might save us and give us eternal life in heaven. If we would simply believe on Him. I like the way the Scripture phrases that. Not believe in Him like Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. I have not placed my faith in something that is a fantasy. I believe on Christ. I stand on Christ because He came and died for me. And it's placing your faith and your trust fully in the One who came to give His life for you. Have you believed this morning? Can you look back to a point in time where you bowed and asked Christ to save you? I pray that you can. Until that happens, we are under the wrath of God. With every reason to fear that the next breath may be the last, and we go to face God. The second exception to that, the second exception to Having a fear-based relationship is willful sin. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. and Turn your attention to verse 26. Hebrews 10 and 26 says, For if we sin willfully... After that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now don't make any mistake about this. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. There is no sin beyond its reach. The problem, the difference is the condition of our heart. It says here, for if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge. You see, the sins we did before we came to Christ, we didn't know any better. But yet the gospel was preached. (laughs) We were told that we were a sinner. We saw the sinfulness of sin and how we needed to be cleansed from it. We asked for forgiveness. God saved us and those are gone. Now that we know better, things change, don't they? We should see sin in our life and say, no, I don't want to do that. I've been changed. I don't want to go back to that way of living. But humanity can have a way of hardening our hearts, right? Sin has a way of working in and we can see sin and be drawn away by our own lusts and we know something is wrong. 
we've received the knowledge of the truth. That's what it says, right? We know something is wrong. We know the Bible says, don't do it. And yet we do anyways. We sin willfully. We make the choice. Even when the Spirit at times is saying, stop, stop, stop. I don't know if you've ever felt that in your own heart. The Spirit saying, stop, do not do this. You shouldn't act like this. You shouldn't go this place. You shouldn't do this. Whatever it may be. We've all felt the conviction of the Spirit. And there are times when we say, nope, going to do it anyways. You know what's happened with our heart? We've hardened our heart. We don't want to ask for forgiveness. And God is not going to force us. That's what it's talking about when it says, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. We don't want forgiveness. We're not going to ask for forgiveness because we've hardened our heart. And sometimes God has to break us, doesn't He? Verse 26, For if we sin willfully after that we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. I don't know if you felt that. That's not a good feeling. I know I messed up, and I'm waiting for God to get me back in line. There's a looking for of judgment. He that despised, verse 28, Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God? And hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. And hath done despite to the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth to me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Verse 31, underline it, highlight it, put an arrow by it. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You don't mess around with sin. You don't willfully choose to sin after you know better. This is different than stumbling and getting up and asking for forgiveness. It's making a choice to do something that you know is wrong against the leading of the Spirit. You will answer for that and you have reason to fear God's judgment because it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I'll just say, if you find yourself in either place of those this morning, repent. Turn away from it and turn to God. Ask for forgiveness. And be restored into the relationship that we're going to talk about this morning. Because outside of those, our relationship and our our identity is not one that's a spirit of bondage and a spirit of fear. That's not the spirit of it. Back to Romans 8, didn't he say, ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear? That's not what it's based on. Now some teach that, right? Some teach bondage to God. It's all about a list of rules that you have to keep. It's all about a list of laws or regulations. And you have to measure up to the standard. Now listen, rules have their place. Isn't a rule like thou shalt not commit adultery a pretty good rule? I would say so. Or thou shalt not bear false witness. Those are good rules. But our relationship with God is not based on rules. It's based on the person and work of Christ. What He has done. Where He has placed us. Him working in our lives. Right? It's not rules and regulations. We are saved by grace, not works. 
And anything that we might do, we do out of a thankful heart that yields to Him. Not out of bondage or force. Nobody's forcing you to come here. Why did you come here this morning? I hope it's because you wanted to. Because you want to sit and worship the Lord. You want to sit and hear His preaching and hear His, feel His Spirit move upon your hearts. That's why I come to church. Not because I'm duty-bound because I'm a pastor. No. I want to be here. I want to worship. I want to meet with God. It's not by force. It's by God working in my heart, right? So it's not based out of bondage. And do you know so many more keep themselves in bondage to their own past sins? Or even their own present failures. They're waiting for the hammer to drop. God's going to get me. I just know it. God can never use me. I've done too much. All I do is mess up. I try to do something and uh, just always mess it up. And we walk around, or there are some walking around perpetually guilty. (laughs) Claiming to be His child. Hold on a minute. Is that what He's called us to? Parents, do you only love your children when they're perfectly obedient? Or do you love them all the time? Because if you only loved them when they were obedient, we'd have a problem, wouldn't we? I like when my kids obey. I like it more. But I love them regardless. Is it any different with God? Aside from willful sin, when we mess up, He's there to forgive us. You understand that? Romans 4 tells us it's not based on works and reward. It's based on grace and faith. Romans 6 tells us we're dead to sin. We're free from its dominion. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the Father we serve. No, we don't have a spirit of bondage, a mindset of bondage, an attitude of bondage and fear, but rather look at verse 15 in Romans 8, ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We have a spirit of adoption, of freedom, of love. I want you to understand this morning, stop viewing yourself by your failures. Stop defining yourself by what you cannot do and what you never should have done. Get up, brother. Get up, sister. In Christ, those are forgiven. He forgives sin. He cleanses us from unrighteousness. The old life is put down through the water. We walk in a new life as adopted sons and daughters of God. Listen to what Ephesians says. He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. You hear that? Without blame. Without blame having predestined us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Your identity is not based on your past sins. 
Your identity is not based on your present failures. It is based on your present relationship with God. You are accepted this morning. You are adopted by God as His own. If that doesn't move your heart, oh, may I pray that God would soften it. God has adopted me to be in a place without sin, without blame. Oh, the praise of the glory of grace of God. Adopted means exactly what you think. It's the same thing that's out in our society today is the same thing he's talking about. The word literally is to make one a son. Such a wonderful thought that God has sought us out. God has paid the price to make us His own. He has brought us to Himself through Christ. And we deserve none of it. But yet He loves us so much to do that for us. Through faith, by grace, and the work of the Spirit, I bear His name now. I am His. Nothing can change that. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from His hand. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. We sing these songs, do we know what it means? I am adopted by God. Look in verse 38 of Romans chapter 8. Verse 38 says this, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is how much the Father loves you. Us as adopted sons. What a wonderful thing it is to be adopted by God. And you know what this morning? He wants you to feel the reality of it. Back in our text in verse 15, it says we have received the spirit of adoption, right? That's not just talking about the act itself. It's talking about the tone, the mindset, the, mindset, the attitude of our relationship. The spirit of our relationship with God is one of adoption. The joy that runs through all of our life should be that we are adopted by God. We should feel the joy of being His child. Imagine what joy and gratitude an orphan on the poorest, dirtiest street in the world would have if they were to be adopted by the king of the land. To live in the palace and to enjoy the benefits of being His child. So it should be with us. For our Father is the King of kings and Lord of lords and Creator of all. And all that there is, is His. And we enjoy the blessings and the privileges of being His child. You are His child this morning. Do you feel that? That joy, that peace, that assurance this morning of being a child. Are you more worried about your bills? Are you more worried about things that are going to burn? Maybe your job's on rocky ground. Maybe there's some other things that worry you more that overcome the joy and peace of being His child. We need to get things straight in our life. Do you know whose you are? Your identity is not in what you own. Your identity is... Not in those things that the devil would try to bring back into your mind to bring you shame. Your identity is His. 
I stand as his adopted son. There is a blessed wonder in your life that you can call God Father. Not most righteous holy Lord, though we should. Not almighty Father. More literally, Abba, Daddy. Look there in verse 16, or verse 15. You have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's, that's a children's term. I've said it many times. I'll say it again. There's no sweeter sound to hear my child, either one of them, call me Daddy. It warms my heart. It, it, it brings such love to my heart. It's such a sweet and tender term. You may speak that to the Creator of all things. He who holds all things together bends his ear to listen when you pray. There's a saying I'm reminded of that only a child would dare wake the king in the middle of night for a cup of water. We have that relationship with the God of heaven. And when you pray and you ask for things, it's no different than if you sat at the table and said, Daddy, please pass the biscuits. You have that relationship with the God of heaven. The spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You know that word cry means a deep emotion. Sometimes there's times we cry out to Him, don't we? We cry out to Him in despair. Help me, Father. I need help. I need guidance. Maybe it's times of trial or, you know what, maybe it's even times of praise. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done. Christ Himself uses this term Abba in Gethsemane. It's such a tender, dear term that Paul includes here in his letter to bring across the reality of the relationship that we have with God, the intimacy, the closeness that we have with Him by what He has done for us. Now, you know, there's many commentaries that say a slave could not use this term even if the slave was legally adopted, which could happen. The term Abba was reserved for born children. And here is more wonder and blessing. Yes, we are servants of God, but we are also His sons and His daughters. Because our adoption is by birth, isn't it? Spiritual birth. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. It is the new birth that brings us into His family. It is by birth that we go from being lost and separated and sinners to being adopted by God. That is to be the spirit of our life. That's the joy that we live in. That's who I am. That's who you are. And He communicates this to us. Look in verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You see, we can have a communion, a fellowship with God. The very Holy Spirit of God communes with, moves on, convicts or strengthens or calms my spirit within me. 
He looks upon me and sees that I am His child. He bears witness with my spirit that I am His child. And I believe He does this for all of the saved. Everyone who has been born again, everybody who has been saved has a communion with God in this way. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are His children. People tell me, we went to a a work function last night in Huntington Beach and got to hang out with all the guys at work. Yippee. I didn't get paid to do it this time, but <laughs> we uh, went to that. And I, I, I heard many remarks about how much our kids look like us. He looks just like you. She just looks just like you. You know, you hear that all the time, especially if you have kids, how much they resemble their parents. Well, we ought to resemble our father. The spirit can tell you're one of mine. You are my child. He bears witness with our spirit as he does with all the saved. I can relate to God in that way, and that's part of the blessed assurance that I have. But there can be times when it doesn't feel that way, right? Let's be honest. Things have a way of coming in between. Maybe it's the busyness of life, or maybe it's a trial, or maybe it's a hard time in some relationship, and we get kind of disconnected from God, don't we? And listen, Satan may be trying to get you off track too. He may be trying to bring up your past and show you how much of a sinner you are in comparison to God and have us focus on sins rather than the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Or He may be trying to tempt you into falling into sin. He would like nothing more than for you to lose the wonder and spirit of your adoption. And so He's going to try as hard as He can. Whatever it may be, there's times we don't feel as close, right? We don't feel like a son. We don't feel like a daughter. We're not filled like we should be. So what do we do? We need to get back into communion with God is what we need to do. You drifted. He didn't. We move. He doesn't. And it may be that we need to let the Spirit commune with our spirit again. We need to get back in touch with Him and read His Word and let the Spirit speak to us. You know, sometimes in those times we are so quick to run to a blog or a website or a commentary or a book. We're looking for a quick fix. Anything other than God's own Holy Word. This is how the Spirit speaks to us. You want to commune with the Holy God of Heaven? You want to have a conversation with your Father? Pray and read His book. And I make you a guarantee, 100% absolutely, every single time that you read His Word and you meditate on it, you will grow closer to God. It's surprising how little of God's book God's people read. I don't care what anybody else has to say about this. What does the Bible say? Because this is God's Word. And the Spirit will bear witness with our spirit through His Word. He will draw us close to Him. I find in times when I'm feeling disconnected, I sit down and read Psalms. Or I read a Gospel. And the Spirit moves in ways that's unexplainable. I find my own heart poured out on the page. And I see God communing with me through that. 
bringing me back to where I need to be. If we feel out of touch, we need to get back in touch with God. Because our relationship, our identity is being adopted and born into his family. The question is, do we live it? Right? Is that the driving factor and the driving force in our life? Do you live as if you are his, as if you are born again by and led by the Spirit? Because with this adoption comes great promises, great privileges, and yes, some responsibilities. Verse 17 as we move to a close. If we are children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Let me just say this. I believe all children of God are heirs of God to some extent. All the saved inherit eternal life. No question. All the saved will spend eternity in heaven forever and ever and ever because of the work of Christ on the cross. But I also believe that not every child of God is a joint heir of God. Every child of God is adopted Every child of God is bought by His blood, born again as His child into His family. But listen, it's a simple fact. Not all follow Him fully, do they? Not all are led by the Spirit. That's simple to see. Just have a conversation with people out there. There's people who say, no, they'll never set foot in a church, ever. I am not going to do that. Maybe it's past hurt. Maybe it's... Something, probably it's usually something that happened in their past, but they say flat out no when the Bible says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. There's a reason we come together. Not only to praise God, but it, it helps us out, right? As we help each other as we go through this life. It's a, it's a holy thing given to us by God. But there are some people who say no way, never. There's people that say no to any form of standard. More and more we're seeing people walk away and you know what? Expect it to continue are those who are not willing to identify with Christ, are those who are not willing to follow the leading of the Spirit going to be joint heirs with Christ? That would inherit everything that Christ would know. That's just a simple fact. What does it say here? Joint heirs of Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him. If. You know, there's people that in Scripture that walked with God at one point and walked away. Demas. Paul says in his letters, Demas is here with me and Luke and, you know, they're helping out. And then in 2 Timothy, which is his last letter, last letter, he says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world more. There's people that walked with God and walked away. Walked away from that Blessed position of following Him. They didn't want to suffer with Him. What does it mean, if so be that we suffer with Him? Because we really know nothing about that. At the time of the writing, and for much of the Bible, and for much history after the Bible, if you were going to publicly identify with Christ, it meant suffering. It meant you'd probably lose your life. Physical suffering for sure, even to death especially in Rome. We've seen a break from this in America, but it's getting back to that pretty quickly. 
in its essence, I believe it's talking about identifying with Christ. Saying, I'm all in, I'm following, Lord, whatever you want. Remember verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Turn over, if you would, to Galatians chapter 3. I want you to see this here, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. For ye are all the sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. See? All of us. That's how it starts. We're all born into this family to be a son. He's talking here to the churches of Galatia, those who had followed Him. Notice what he says in the next verse. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He's talking to people that had publicly identified with Christ and been baptized and were serving Him as part of His body. They had put Him on like a robe, like clothes, making the choice to say, this is who I am. This is what people are going to see. This is what I'm going to live for. Not everybody does that. My question is, are you this morning? Are you putting on Christ each and every day? Choosing to live and walk as His Son? Look in chapter 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Listen, church member, you are more than a servant. You are a son. You are a son. An heir. A daughter. Joint heirs with Him. I don't think we can understand that promise. <laughs> Everything that would Christ would inherit... He would give to those who follow Him. So are you living it this morning? Are you willing and ready to confess and to proclaim Jesus, even if it means pushback, even if it means we might lose some worldly fame and gain and favor, even if it means suffering, because I count Him more precious than anything else. Because I know who I am in Him. And I know the glory that waits. If you've turned away from Romans 8, go back there. If children, then heirs, verse 17, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we, might, we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It will be worth it all. Whatever we may face down here, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It's not even worthy to be compared. You could lose everything. You could lose your life. It's not worthy to be compared with the glory that waits for us. With the riches of blessing and peace and joy that He will give us when we see Him. Why do you think so many were willing to lay down their lives across the ages? 
because they understood who they were in Him. There is an inheritance coming for you. Glory beyond compare. Joy and peace beyond measure. Some things we'll describe next week's message. These are promised to you. You have been adopted for this. Your identity in Christ is not based on your past sins or your present failures, but on your present relationship with God and the future promises of God. The question is, is all of this, is all of this real to you this morning? Because I want you to know God wants this for you. This is what He leads us to by the Spirit. This is the relationship that God wants with you. Oh, He loves you so much just as a father loves his children. And if He is bearing witness with you to this of of this today, and if He's leading you to this, I pray that you would respond. If you don't don't know Him as Savior, I want you to know that He wants to make you His child. He does not want to punish you. He does not want to have His wrath abide upon you. The price has been paid. The papers have been signed. Everything's ready. All you have to do is say yes. All we have to do is accept the free gift. Listen, you may be just a child. A child can be saved if they understand. You may be a teenager. You may be middle-aged. It doesn't matter. All of us need to know Him personally. Because He personally personally died for you and for me. You might have a lot to turn away from. Or you know what? Things might not seem to change all that much. That was my story. I was eight years old for crying out loud. How bad could I be? But you know what? I still needed to be saved. And it wasn't a bunch of fireworks and this, this massive change in my life, though spiritually it was. I just knew I was a sinner and I needed to be saved. This is what I needed to do. And it may be that way for you. Or you may have a huge past to turn from. Doesn't matter. The Spirit leads you to salvation in Christ. Christ will save you. Because He died for you. Will you let the Spirit lead? All you have to do is accept and call on Him today to turn from your sins and let Him adopt you. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's time you, you made a public profession and put your life in Him. You say, you know what, I'm living for Him now. Part of His body. Living as an adopted son, an adopted daughter. You know what, for the rest of us, you know what this world needs? Christians who know who they are. People that live it out in real time. It's not just something they say, but they live and they... They act like and they love like and they speak like adopted sons or daughters of Christ. Nobody play in church anymore. The world gets so sick of that, they can see through that in a heartbeat. They'll tell quicker than anybody else, you're a fake. You say this, but you don't live it. Now, the world needs Christians who knows who they are. People putting on a face and taking a nap with their eyes open in a pew just to get through service. That's not what we're called to. I'm glad God's not like me. You know what I do when my kids do that? When I'm talking to them? You know how it goes. You're trying to tell your kids something and 
looking every other way, did you, hey, wake up. Maybe God needs to do that in your life today. He's had to do it in my life a couple times. Hey, wake up. This is important. Pay attention. Don't you understand? Get your focus on some wrong things. The world doesn't need people playing church. He needs us living as if we know who our Father is. Living stable and secure in our identity in Christ. The world needs that. Your spouses need that. Your children needs that. It's time for us to stand up and live it out. I pray that if this reality of who you are in Him has grown dull and it's boring to you and just mundane, maybe the Spirit would light some fires again this morning. Maybe, we'd, maybe He would open our eyes again to what it means to be adopted by God. He's given us the spirit of adoption. He bears witness that we are His child and that we can be joint heirs if we follow Him they that are led by the Spirit of the sons of God. He's done everything and set it all up, and all we have to do is live and follow. You are His son today. You are His daughter. All the privileges and all the promises and all the power that comes with that are yours. Is it real to you? Do you feel it? If not, well, you know what? Maybe you need to come down and get back in communion with Him. I pray this morning that you would feel the wonder of the adoption of God. Let's bow our heads if you would. Father, I pray that you would take these words, take this great truth that you have given to us, that you have done for us, and all the wonder that it means, Lord. I pray that you would take that and press it upon our hearts and our minds, that we would be so thankful and so humbled by what You have done for us. That we would go from this place walking in that identity and walking in that blessed assurance, Lord, and that we would just live in the peace and the joy and all that You've given, Lord. If, if that has drifted away from some this morning, I pray that You would make their heart tender again to it and open their eyes to it, Lord. If there's one that does not have that and is not Your child, Lord, that You would draw them that they may receive spiritual birth and salvation in Christ. Whatever the need is, Lord, do the work that I cannot do, only you can do. We give you glory for all that you will do. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.